ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His Gospel. Now, blessed Lord, in the name of Christ, we come to hear the Gospel preached this morning. And we come, O Lord, that we might be drawn to Thee. That we might be willing to give up all that we have, all that we know, and those we love the most for Thee. Teach us, O Lord, the preciousness of faith. Teach us, O Lord, what it means to believe and trust. What it means to come to Christ and rest in Him. And we ask this, O Lord, in the precious and strong name of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Now, beloved, hear the reading of God's Word from Matthew 11, beginning at verse 20. And then He began to denounce the cities in which most of His miracles were done, because they did not repent... Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you and you, Capernaum. Will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to hell. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And at that time, Jesus said, And I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me, All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, last week we looked at the cost of discipleship. We looked at a passage of Scripture that helps us, that revealed to us the costliness of what it means to follow Christ. What it means to give up this world and this life for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. What it means to be His disciple. And that we ought to be willing to put away all, put away from us all material possessions and put away those most precious relations to follow Him, if need be. 
And this morning, we should now look at the gospel itself. We're going to look at the very heart of the gospel, the gospel message, and, and what that is, and, and how, how there are different responses to that one message, the gospel. And by doing so, or, and by looking at this gospel, I want to draw your attention, and I want to focus on two words, the most important words in the text that I have read to you this morning are the two words, woe and come. These two words are, if you will, the imperatives. They are the exclamation marks of Jesus' message. One half of that message being a severe condemnation to certain cities. And the other, the sweetest of invitations to come and find rest for your weary souls. There is only one gospel. And what we will learn this morning is that one gospel has two sides. Just like a coin. It's like a quarter. On one side of the quarter there is a a head. On the other side of the quarter, there is an eagle. But it's the same quarter. It's the same coin. And it is very common for men in any generation, and often in every generation, to exaggerate one aspect of the gospel over the other. There are many, even in our own day, that love to focus on the sweetness of the gospel and never address and deal with or interact with or consider the woe side of the gospel. And yet it's the, it's the same message. It's one and the same. What is it that makes that invitation so sweet? What is it that makes this command come to Christ so meaningful and and, and almost irresistible? Is it not the woe? Is it not the judgment of God? Is it not the wrath of God? The truth that there is a hell and that there will be a judgment, a place of fiery torment, of sorrow and misery for eternity does exist. It's not the figment of men's imaginations. It's not a doctrine that the church created to keep the masses in line. It is the teaching of Holy Scripture. And it is the teaching particularly of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a place of torment and judgment. There is a place where all who reject and deny Him will spend eternity. You see, beloved, without the woe of the gospel, without the doctrine of eternal damnation, without the without the force of our Lord Jesus bringing to bear that men must choose and they must take sides. 
What is the sweetness of the invitation itself? I dare to tell you that I think if you have nothing but the sweet invitation of Christ without the woe part of the gospel, what it creates is people that are entitled. It's people that seem they have forgotten about the burden of that sin. They have forgotten about the fierce hatred of our Lord Jesus against sin and sinners and against the way that is offensive to Him. If we forget those things, then we think that we deserve this heavenly eternity. If we forget about the judgment of God, then we think that somehow we were good enough that He selected us over those bad ones over there because He wants to spend time with me over them. And I think we have, I think we have a large segment of the church today that certainly carry themselves as, as entitled ones. Self-righteous. The Apostle Paul clearly wrote that there is but one gospel. Not two and not many. One. He was so... He was so strong on that point. He said, if anyone comes to you and preaches another gospel than the gospel I preach to you, may he be damned. That's strong words. May he be damned. Damn the preacher who preaches a gospel that's not conformed to Scripture. Woe and come. Now, brothers and sisters, way I want to look at these two exclamation marks of this sermon or of this lecture of the Lord Jesus Christ or His confrontation of Christ, we will need to consider who receives which? Who receives the woe? And who receives the come? And I think that's important for us. If we're going to learn how to follow Christ, if we're going to learn to appreciate the gospel, if we're going to learn to sell everything and follow Him, give up everything, everyone, and follow Him, if we're going to learn to see the gospel as the pearl of great price, then let us take heart to who Jesus is speaking to. Amen? Amen. And compare ourselves to them. Let us ask these questions to ourselves. Let us not be blind. Let us not be numb. Let us not be indifferent to the lesson itself or to the sermon itself. Brothers and sisters, let us look into this glorious mirror of God's holy word and let us ask ourselves these questions that, will, that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind. Into your heart. And ask yourself. In these two groups. Which do I belong? 
In which do I belong? Which group? Do I belong to the group that is under the woe and the condemnation and the denunciation of Jesus Christ? Or do I belong to this group that has the sweetness of the words, Come unto me, and you will find rest for your soul. Well, let's look at this denouncement of our blessed Savior. And I want you to notice how particular His judgments are. They are not general. Notice what the Lord Jesus does in verse 20. He began to denounce the cities in which most of His miracles were done. This is not some general preaching that this is not the shotgun approach to things. Jesus isn't throwing something out there hoping to snag something. Oh, our Lord Jesus takes aim and fires that single bullet. And he is hitting the crowd exactly where they are. He is denouncing three particular cities. Three particular cities. And then he compares them to three wicked and notoriously wicked cities. In order to shake them out of their hardness. And to shake them from their twisted and perversion of scripture. And from their prejudices. And I'm going to show them to you. Let's begin to look at what Jesus says to them. Notice, he says it, that he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done. And he tells us why right there in verse 20. Because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago and sat cloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. In verse 23, Capernaum, when you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to hell. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Well, who were these cities? What was their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? How is it that our Lord has come to this place where He is no longer displaying this grand act of mercy rather than pronouncing this woeful judgment upon Him? He has come to the place where these sweet promises and sweet invitations are no longer profitable. They're no longer falling on soft hearts. But the, He has come to this place where He says that what is needed and what is necessary and what is proper now is judgment. Woe to you. And don't you look around. 
Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at the neighboring city. Don't look at them. Look at you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Look at yourselves. Woe to you. Now who were they? Well, they were the three cities that Jesus did tremendous and mighty miracles in. That's what the text says, doesn't it? But go back up in the context of your Bibles. Look back up, if you will, at verse 16. And here the Lord Jesus, in addressing and dealing with the crowd, and dealing with the, in the context here, He says, But to what shall I compare this generation? Now this is the Lord Jesus speaking the, the, about this crowd. And He says this, Well, how, would, how do I compare you? Well, how do I see you? That's what he's saying. You want to know what I think of you? Let me tell you. Look at verse 16. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children and say, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. I'm going to stop there and explain that. How... Do I see you? How do I compare you with other generations? How do I compare this generation with other generations? He says, you're like children. What an insult. What an insult. See, the only, the only way, brothers and sisters, that being compared to a child is not an insult if you are children in Christ, but like children. In, in what way, children? Not in knowledge. Not in knowledge. Don't be a child in knowledge in Christ. Grow up in Jesus. Become knowledgeable. Become, become experienced at taking the Word of God and making application to your life. Be wise. No, children, as a child follows their father, so we should follow after Christ. As a child trusts. His Father. So we should trust Jesus. Like a child. This is not, this is not a compliment. This is a condemnation. He is calling them immature children. And what about these children is it that, that the Holy Spirit brings to our attention through the writing of Matthew? He says, well, they're like children that go and sit in the marketplace. And what do they want to do? They want to play. They want to play. They want to, they want to do what children do. They want to play and dance and sing and mourn. They want to emulate all that's going on around them. He says, listen, what do they do? Who we, 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 they sit in the marketplace. They call out the other children. They play the flute for you and they want to dance. They're, they're oblivious to the day, right? They don't know what's going on. They don't know about the wars that are pressing around them. They don't know about the politics. They don't know about the, the taxation that's taking place. They don't understand how, how families are, are faced with all the pressures of what health, with wealth, you know, whether you have it or you don't, the politics, all of these things. Our children are oblivious to these things, right? All they want to do is play. He says, you're like this generation. You can't even see. You don't even notice what's going on around you. You're just oblivious. 
You're like children that go into the marketplace and one minute you're dancing and singing and happy, the next minute you're mourning with a dirge. But it's neither here nor there. You're all over the place. He said, that's you. That is you. So we see there, brothers and sisters, that they, they had a very, a very immature grasp upon the reality of their condition, their the soul condition. They didn't really understand the importance of who was standing before them. The Lord Jesus Christ teaching them the gospels, performing great miracles, feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, healing and giving sight to the blind, and then restoring the infirmed hand and the legs. The infirmed. They didn't realize it. They didn't consider it. Oh, I've got to go grocery shopping. Oh, that's nice. Oh, he healed the blind man. Oh, it's noted. It's documented. What, he raised the dead of our neighbor, Jesaurus? Hey, I've got to go get some groceries. We've got a 4th of July party to go to. Talk to me about that later. I'm sorry, but I'm going out tonight. I've got friends to see. I'm sorry, but I've got to watch Netflix. And you're interrupting me. You see, they had an immature understanding of the day. Does that describe us? Does it describe our generation? If we can go to the football games, right? If we can just, you know... Um, well, if we can just kind of go where we want to go, you know, if I can drive from this state to the next state and not have to show some identity as I cross borders, right? Oh, we're free. Free. No big deal. Taxes are high, okay, but I still have enough money to do the, my things I want to do. That's no big deal. You know, I mean, do we live like that? Do we, you know, what about the, the lack of the preaching of the gospel? What about the kinds of churches that are growing versus the kinds of churches that are stagnant? What about the kinds of men that churches want versus the kinds of men they don't want? I mean, that's where Jesus is going with this. They had a skewed understanding of their reality because they perverted and twisted the meaning of Scripture. How so? Well, they took the Bible, and this is what the whole Sermon on the Mount Back over here in Matthew 5, into Matthew 7, Jesus teaches, He says, but you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. What was Jesus doing? He was correcting the perverted teachings of the Scripture in His day. You've accepted these teachings. Think about the things that you have assumed are accurate and correct about the Bible and have you come to find out they are not correct at all. Hmm? They're not correct at all. Because you just assumed that what you heard was right without checking it out. Without following up on it. Is that laziness? Does that display a indifference to the teaching of Christ? If it's related to your eternity and related to your soul, the health and well-being of your family, the health and well-being of all your relationships, is it not important? 
Notice not only, so they perverted, they perverted the teaching of the Lord's prophets and of the Lord's teachers. I want to just give you a couple of examples of this, not going to dwell on it, but I want to give you just a couple. You know, notice when, you know, they hated John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Pharisees went out to see this preacher. And John the Baptist confronted them. He says, what is this, you brood of vipers? Now, now listen to me. John was not just calling them names. John was not name calling. What, in what form did the temptation come to our first parents? Serpent. What was John saying? You are not the sons of God. But you are of your father, the devil. Because you don't seek the things of your father in heaven. You seek the things of the earth. You seek the things of the here and now over your heavenly father. You are a brood of vipers. And what did they, what happened to John? Where did John end up? Well, notice back in the context here. Look up here at verse 7. John did preach the gospel fervently and faithfully, and he was in prison for it. He was thrown in jail, and he had become discouraged. Our prophet is become discouraged. Notice what he does in verse 7. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness and see, he said? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out and see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, the, and one who is more than a prophet This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you were willing to accept that John himself is Elijah, who was to come? He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says, I sent you a prophet. And you didn't listen to him. I sent you. A man to prepare the way before me. To prepare your hearts and your minds. But you didn't listen to him. No, you threw him in jail. You scorned him. You mocked him. You made fun of what he wore. You made fun of what he ate. He wore camel's hair. He was a poor prophet. He wore the clothes of a servant. And you mocked him. He ate locusts and wild honey and you said he was weird. 
And you rejected his teaching because he wasn't like you. Yes, he came preaching a thunderous message. Yes, he was a serious man, a solemn man, a private man. He lived out in the wilderness. He wasn't like you. And you condemned him for it. And you justified not listening to him because he wasn't like you. And these cities were those people that formed these prejudices. They formed all these prejudices and they promoted those prejudices with others. He goes, man, he is weird. That is one weird cat. I wouldn't listen to anything he had to say. When his message perfectly comported and lined up with the Word of God and all the prophets before him. We don't want that. We don't want that. When Jesus goes on to say, look down at verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he has a demon. You see, John was a serious, solemn fellow. He bore the weight of the coming Messiah. He was going to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the culture and society and the, 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 the prevailing wickedness of his day. And he was solemn about it. He didn't come laughing and cutting up and making jokes and making friends of any of those things. He was a solemn man. He spent time out in the wilderness praying before God, preparing his heart to go preach a message that nobody wanted to hear. And Jesus says, how did you malign his character? You said he had a demon. You called my servant possessed. Well, that's not the only preacher they condemned. Look at verse 19. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Here the Lord Jesus Christ came preaching a message of repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right behind John the Baptist. And how did they justify not listening to Jesus? John is too solemn. He's too serious. He's too private. Well, Jesus is flat out too friendly. Well, John didn't drink alcohol. Jesus comes and says, He came eating and drinking. He came enjoying this himself in a sense and, and being with the sinners that he was preaching and teaching to. And notice what they say about him. They maligned him and they created these prejudices against him. He says, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard. Now you think, well, that's not a very nice thing to say, but there are worse things to say. At least they didn't say he was demon-possessed. Well, they did accuse him of being demon-possessed in one encounter, but what Jesus points out is, you know what they say? In Deuteronomy, the gluttonous and drunkard son was worthy of what? The drunkard and the gluttonous son who continued to rebel against his parents, who continued to rail and fight against his parents, was put to what? Death. That's what they're saying about Jesus. 
He's worthy of death. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. Matthew Henry has some really great comments on this section. I encourage you to go read it. But basically what Matthew Henry says is, oh, how our blessed Savior sends many kinds of preachers to preach the gospel. Some are serious, solemn, and private. And yet they preach the message of the gospel. Some are friendlier. Some with a complete different disposition altogether. Yet it's the same message. It's the same gospel. It's the it, it it's it's the king. It's the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, and it's a call to repent of one's sin and embrace Christ as Master, Lord, and Savior. And look at all the prejudices we create today. Look at all the prejudices that are out there. The one side or the other, right? Well, I don't like the the thundering wrath of the gospel, but I like the sweetness of it. So forget that and accept this. It's not the gospel. And you can't have the sweetness in you. I mean, you can't just hear sweet whisperings in your ear. Why? Well, beloved, listen to me. Think about your sin. Think about your nature. In raising children, are there times you have to raise your voice? Are there times you have to raise your voice to your children? We have a, the, the, the psychologist today will say, oh, you might damage them if you raise your voice. Our Lord Jesus raises his voice to us. And we should raise our voice to our children to emphasize, you should do this and you better do this. Because the sweet whispers of asking you to do something are over at this point. Listen and obey. You see, brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus knows what we need, and he sends many kinds of preachers to us to hear. But what happened? Notice at the end of verse 19, I want to deal with that statement, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. What does Jesus mean by that? He says, well, well, let me put it this way. John the Baptist was vindicated. How was John the Baptist vindicated? He was beheaded. He was was murdered. He was martyred, if you will. How was he vindicated? He was vindicated by those who believed his message and had their lives changed and believed in Jesus Christ, received the reward of eternal life. How is Jesus vindicated by being maligned and accused of being a glutton and a drunkard? How is our Lord Jesus vindicated? He's vindicated by those who come to Him, have their lives transformed and restored, have their souls cleansed of His sin, and have their paths made straight with His teaching, the teaching of His Word. How does this is kind of like a doctor? How does the how's a doctor's wisdom vindicated when he treats you? Well, when you follow the protocol, what happens? You're healed. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, listen. Look, in fact, look, look at the other part, if you will. Notice what Jesus says here in in verse.
Well, verse 25, it says, At this time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Who is the wise and intelligent in Jesus' prayer? It's not the truly wise and intelligent. Because the world has its own wisdom. The world follows its own wise men and women. The world has its own system of of wisdom and philosophy. And Jesus is condemning that. He's condemning their wisdom. He's juxtaposing it against the heavenly wisdom. He says, oh, how much better as it is for infants. This is spiritual infants. God reveals His will to these infants of men, babes in Christ. And they are wiser than the wisest of men in our day. All these men want to tell us, why there is no afterlife. Oh, why we should listen to them. Oh, how science has all the answers. Oh, how psychology can remedy you of all of your phobias. Oh, how psychology, how science can certainly heal your immaterial portion of yourself and make you whole again. They will tell us this. We all reject it. The wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world is what? To God. Foolishness. There's only one who can restore the soul. There's only one who knows the soul. And that's the one who created the soul. It's the one that united your soul with your body. Who can do that? Who can do that? Did our not our Lord Jesus Christ tell his disciples, don't fear the one who can kill the body? Don't fear that person. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. Fear him. What's he saying? Fear me. Because I control both. So who are these cities? These cities beloved were children they were places where the where the scriptures had been perverted to justify their own ways and to and they they created all these prejudices they rejected the true teaching of the gospel they maligned the ministers of Christ and Christ himself and they rejected they rejected the gospel so this woe belongs to whom those who prejudice themselves against the ministers of God, those who hear the gospel preached in their midst, the means of grace, those who have so much light given to them, those who have had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Jesus says, Woe unto you. A couple things here. Notice Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum were three cities where Jesus did, I mean, miracles. He raised the dead. I mean, He restored life to lifeless bodies. He healed the eyesight of the blind. He fed five 
thousand people with a few fish and a couple of pieces of bread. They were well aware of who he was. They were well, this was not done in a corner. This was not done in isolation. This was not done in darkness. These were miracles that Jesus did in the sight and in in the view of everyone around him. He didn't hide it. It was, it was without question who he was. And yet they rejected him. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a message here about having so much light, having so much grace, given and given and given, and yet having a heart that remains so stone cold to that teaching. Having a heart that remains so indifferent to the messenger that Christ must say to that person, woe to you. He emphasizes, he emphasizes the danger they're in by comparing them to three notoriously sinful places. These three cities, notice Tyre, and Sodom, they were, and Sodom. I mean, these were places known, Tyre was known for its idolatry. I mean, rank, rank, putrid idolatry, fornication, notorious immorality. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this Is there a place in Scripture more sinful than Sodom? Is there a place more notorious than Sodom in Scripture? Is is there a place more infamous degrading and offensive in the sight of God who destroyed it with fire and brimstone from heaven? Wiped it off of the face of the earth. Is there a more sinful place than Sodom? And yet these are the places he compares to the three cities he did his most mighty works in. Notice what he says about judgment. And I want to draw this to your attention and we'll move on. Woe, verse 21, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago and sat cloth and ashes. Now notice, notice, our Lord Jesus says, listen, if I would have done the same works in Tyre and Sidon that I've done in you. What does Jesus say? They'd have repented. They would have heard my message. They would have given up their idolatry. I didn't choose them. I didn't choose to reveal myself to them. Notice what Jesus prays, brothers and sisters. In verse 25, You have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was pleasing in your sight. What is Jesus saying? I chose not 
to do my miracles there, but if I had, they would have repented. And I've done my miracles in your midst. And you have rejected it. Notice what he says in verse 22. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. What is he saying? He says the same thing about Capernaum and he relates it to Sodom. Look at verse 24. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. There's only one way to understand it. On the day of judgment, when the inhabitants of the generation stands before the Lord Jesus Christ, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, when those cities and inhabitants and generations stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, they will receive lesser punishment than Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. It doesn't mean it's less of a hell. It doesn't mean it's less of a hell. It just means that they will receive a more fierce hell than hell itself. A, a greater intensity of hell. He uses the word tolerable. Tolerable. See, here's the thing about eternal damnation. We'll go, it, it's going to be felt. When you are raised on the last day, the person that does not believe in Jesus Christ is not going to receive a glorified body. He's going to receive an imperishable body. A body that's able to be burned and tormented forever and ever without perishing. Christ is going to give them a body that is suitable for judgment. Eternal judgment. And in that suitable body for eternal judgment, some are going to receive a a greater portion of God's wrath than others. And that's what he's saying. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. There's going to be a lot of people sitting in church that are going to feel the hottest flames of hell over the LBGT community, over sodomites, over others who do not know God. Never had any chance to know God. Then those who have had light and 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 remained in their hearts dead to Christ. Woe to them. Let's end on the sweetness of this gospel. Notice. How should we respond to indifferent to days of indifference, to hard days? That's some hard ministry going on here, isn't it? Some hard preaching going on. Preaching and nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants any part of it. Nobody wants any portion of it. But what does our Lord do? Our Lord teaches us that what we must do is pray. At this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. What do you mean? Jesus is praising God for His sovereignty. Who's in control? Who's in charge here? 
Who is the one who is the ultimate sovereign? It's not cities. It's not nations. It's not mankind. It's God who sits in heaven. And Jesus says, I praise you, Father. Because you are the one that matters. Even though men may minister and find great discouragement, they should always find encouragement in their heavenly Father. And it's because of these things. He is, the, he is Father and Lord of heaven and earth. Notice His works. He, he, he is, you have hidden things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Father wills, wills to reveal Him. What is this prayer? What is Jesus praying? Jesus prays a a praise to God. And what does he do? He thanks God for his sovereignty. and And he acknowledges, Father, I will reveal you to whom I'm pleased to reveal you to. And they'll come. And they'll come. And then he gives the sweet invitation. Come. Come. Who is this invitation to? Well, first of all, what is this invitation for? Come to me. Notice what he says there in verse 28. Come to me. It's not come to your senses. It's not come to higher education. It's not come to a better sense of morality. It's not come to a better sense of your own self-righteousness. Come to me. What did we learn last week? Give up everything and follow Jesus. Jesus has come to me. Are there, I mentioned it last week, I mentioned it now, sitting in church, have never come to Christ. They come to good deeds, they come to better relationships, kinder people. They come to better environments. They come to reform their homes and their families, right? I mean, they come to create a better environment to raise up good families, but they, don't never, they never come to Christ. And there's a difference. The invitation goes to all who are weary and heavy laden. The invitation is to the weary and the heavy laden. The invitation is come, come now, come right now. I've just pronounced this woe. Come now while you still can. Come before it's too late. If you are weary, if you are tired, and if you are weighed down, weighed down, tired of what? Tired of working your way to heaven. Tired of working in such a way to make Jesus love you more and more and more. Are you tired of of the hustle and bustle of your spiritual life because you've never come to Christ? Are you tired of creating your own moral system and trying to live up to it and you break it, try to live up to it, you create another one, you can't live up to that one, you break that one? Are you tired of it? 
Have you been burdened by your own self-righteousness? I mean, everything is not according to Scripture. It's not according to the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything begins with you and ends with you. You're self-righteous. Are you tired of carrying that load? Then this invitation is for you. Now he is speaking to church people. He's speaking to covenant people. He is speaking to those who grew up in the church. Notice the weary and the heavy laden are the ones who are invited. Have you come to that sense? Or have you come to the real sense that you're what? So you cannot earn your way to heaven. And that you are a sinner worthy of death. I mean, really, if you come to that place where you have stopped judging people by your own goodness and begin to judge everything by the Word of God. He says, and I will give you rest. What a promise. See, if you're tired of your self-righteousness and you're tired of trying to earn and, and make your own way to heaven, Jesus has got an invitation for you to come. You, 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 going back and thinking about Sodom, you know what Jesus was saying there? Notice what he, when he says, listen, nevertheless, in verse 24, I say to you, it would be more tolerable in the land of, or um, verse 23, I mean, if, if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. What does he mean? They would have repented. Wait a minute. That notoriously evil and wicked place would have repented of their sins and they would have been received. Hmm? Have we prejudiced ourselves against sinners? Hmm? Who can really be saved? Well, I, I'm the determiner of who can get saved and who cannot get saved. But Jesus says, listen, there is not a set of sins and sins so notoriously offensive to me that I can't forgive them. Come to me. I would have forgiven them. And they would remain to this day. Fornication, adultery, drug addiction, pornography. What? Self-righteousness. Moralism. I forgive it. I can take it away from you. I can cleanse you of your sins. I will give you rest. This rest that Jesus is talking about is the turmoil of your soul. Rest. I, I, I can give you peace. I can cause you to sleep at night peacefully, no matter what's going on around you. I can cause you to be at peace with yourself because you are at peace with me. I can take your anxiety away. See, no, no drug can truly do that. You know, that's what the psychologist will do, right? I'm going to give you a bunch of drugs. Numb you to the reality and the condition of your own damnation. And Jesus says, come to me and I will heal you. I will give you the rest your soul truly needs. 
But notice what he goes on to say. The invitation is come and notice the motivation. I will give you rest. And what are we coming to when we come to Jesus? Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now that's not a pleasant picture. A yoke, go on oxen. A yoke, slaves wear yokes. Jesus is saying, come to me and you will be my slave, my servant, and I will be your master. Wait a minute. Before you go somewhere in your mind and heart, we are the slave of someone. We are either the slaves of the devil doing his bidding, or we can be the slaves of Jesus and serve him. But why should we do? Why should we come? Why should we be the slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ and serve him? Notice what it says in verse 21. Take, I mean 29. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. He comes to be our master. And he comes to be our teacher. Learn from me. Listen to me. Let me disciple you. For I am gentle and humble in heart. There is no other master like Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Jesus knows every sin you've committed. He knows every thought you have thought. He knows everything you have said. He's heard it like it was, like it was said in a loudspeaker. And he says, come. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to teach you. But I'm going to rule over you. And I'm going to help you. And I'm going to be a good master to you. I'm going to be a good Lord to you. And I'm going to take away your sins. And I'm going to give you rest. Notice what he says in verse 29. And you will find rest for your souls. How many people out there are looking for rest for their souls? There is no rest for the wicked. They are like the waves of the sea, tossed to and fro and all the commotion. The righteous are not. The righteous can lay their heads on their pillows in the heatest of battles and not fear a thing because their heavenly Father watches over them and protects them. Another motivation is found in verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what? It's a lot easier to follow Christ. It's pleasant. It's a happier lifestyle. It's a better place to be than to follow your own devices. To follow the ways of the world. Follow the philosophies of this world. And you're doing nothing but burdening yourself with all kinds of unnecessary and needed sin. The gospel is seen here in woe and come. Brothers and sisters, if you find yourself under the woe, I want to encourage you to listen to the come. Come now. That's what it means. That's what the, the original language, the emphasis is, come 
now, right now, come to me. Come to Christ. Don't wait. Don't put off the most important decision you could ever make, and that is, will I follow Christ or not? Let's pray.